Good morning, Open Door family. As we continue in worship, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 16 and 17 this morning. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, maybe you can look on with a friend beside you, or you can even pull it up on your smartphone in front of you. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Patrick Sanders, and I have the pleasure of serving you on staff here at Open Door as director to the high school students in their families. Now, it is not a normal rhythm for Open Door to allow me to preach on stage. Uh, Pastor Dwayne is out of town. He's on a much needed and much deserved sabbatical. And so while he is gone, the opportunity was presented and this is something I cannot say no to. So I'm excited to lead this time in worship together. We're gonna continue in our summer series, Devotions for a Vibrant Faith. And this morning, I want us to look at what does it mean to be devoted to the scriptures? Why is that important? Why should we as believers be devoted to the scriptures? And we're going to do so by looking at one verse in particular, 2 Timothy 3, 16. It says the following, Paul writing, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When I was in college, an opportunity presented itself to me that I felt like was too good to be true. So naturally, I accepted it. I was with a group of friends, and there was this one girl I had never met before in my life. Her name was Ruthie. Ruthie was a senior. She was a music major. And in order to graduate, she had to give 10 free singing lessons to different people in order to teach them what she had learned throughout the years. Now, there's one thing y'all need to know about me that is imperative for this story. I cannot sing. Now, physically I can, words come from my mouth, but like many of you might understand, what I imagine it sounds like is vastly different than whatever it is that comes forth when I sing, okay? I cannot do that. But Ruthie, she was willing to give free lessons. And I thought, it would have to be a HIPAA violation if she told people how bad I was. So I can do this under the comfort of knowing I will never, ever see Ruthie again a day in my life. And she would never tell anyone about this. So I said, Ruthie, I will do it. I will sign up for one of your slots. You teach me how to sing for an hour and we're good to go. So we exchanged contacts and the ball started rolling. That night, Ruthie texted me and she said, Patrick, what days work best for your singing lessons? Red flag there, lessons was plural, but some people have fat thumbs and you just never know if that was an accident. So I just assumed that was an accident. And I said, Ruthie, Mondays or Wednesdays work perfect for me. She said, that's great, but what about the rest of the semester? I said, Ruthie, you're confused. I signed up for one lesson. She said, no, no, dear sir, you signed up for all 10. She said, Patrick, if I want to graduate this semester I have to give 10 lessons to one individual and you said you would be that guy. I said, Ruthie, I'm sorry, but you are not graduating this semester. I, <laughs> I cannot be your guy. Uh, you don't want me to sing for 10 hours to you and I don't wanna do that either. Uh, Ruthie gave me the pity speech, Patrick, I, I can't graduate, I have to, my senior year, will you please do it? I said, Ruthie, okay, between you and I, I'll do it. So we were good. The next day, Ruthie texted me. She said, Patrick, there's, there's one more very important thing we need to figure out. Uh, you have to sing as a final assessment in front of my class. 
She goes, Patrick, what day will that work out best for you? I said, Ruthie, none of the above. There is not a day in the week that is best in my schedule to sing as a final assessment in front of your class. I said, Ruthie, I'm sorry, but it, it's, you're not, you will not graduate from this institution. That's not happening. She gave me the pity party again. She said, Patrick, I have to, I, I have to graduate. She said, I will figure out, if I can figure out how you can avoid the final assessment, will you do it? I said, Ruthie, I will do it. I'm not the worst person ever. Okay, fine. So I sign up, 10 singing lessons, once a week, one hour each lesson. Now here was the game plan. We were gonna sing three different songs from three different genres. Here's what ended up happening. I sang the same song, Great Are You Lord by All Sons and Daughters, 10 times every single singing lesson. We never made it beyond that. Uh, that was no shot at Ruthie as a teacher. That was all on me as a student. I just am not capable, I guess. Uh, there was at one point halfway through, I said, heck, we might as well have fun with this. So I figured I would do what I should have done from the beginning. I'm gonna practice for Ruthie. And so I was driving in my car and I started practicing the song and I found this raspiness in the back of my voice. And I said, that's it. We, we just found it. Like that's the game changer right there. Ruthie is going to love this. True story. So I show up, this is lesson number six and I break out this new raspy Patrick that Ruthie has never heard before to blow her away. After 59 minutes of enduring that, Ruthie looked at me and she said, Patrick, uh, it appears that we have digressed. But she said, don't worry. It sounds like you're a bit congested. I'm sure that will all clear up and next week you'll be fine. Uh, brothers and sisters, I look Ruthie in the eyes and I said, you're absolutely right. I, I think I'm a little under the weather. I'm sure it will get better next week. Now, I, I did improve, although if you saw what you were working with, there's no way I could have gotten worse from the first lesson. But, but Ruthie taught me something that was super important. She said, Patrick, singing is like being athletic. She had to speak in terms that I understood. I was like, that's the first thing I've realized this whole time. She said, people are born athletic and some people aren't. And it's something you have to work hard to become good at. She said in the same way, some people are born naturally gifted at singing and some people aren't. But either way, if you want to be good, you have to work hard to be good at it. As we look at what it means to be devoted to the scriptures, what it means to be devoted to God's word, I couldn't help but make that same parallel. And, and my fear is that some of us might view the scriptures the same way I viewed singing. You see, every single one of us here, we sing in some capacity, whether it is happy birthday or singing in the car ride home, but that doesn't mean that we're great at it. And in the same way, we all as believers dabble in the scripture to some capacity. But if we're being honest, some of us might chalk it up and say, being a scholar of God's word, that's just not my thing. And if we're being honest, we might say, I'm going to leave studying the scriptures. I'm going to leave being devoted to the scriptures for someone else. Instead, I'm going to do the very minimum and allow others to dive deep into God's word. But the reality is we are all brothers and sisters. We are all called to be devoted to the scriptures, not just the pastors, not just the professors at the seminary, but as believers, we are all called to be theologians. So my goal, my objective this morning is to debunk this myth that the scriptures are not our thing. Instead, I want to show you that as believers, we are to be devoted to them. My main idea, uh, main idea is this, the vibrant Christian life necessitates a deep devotion to 
the scriptures. Once again, a vibrant Christian life necessitates a deep devotion to the scriptures. Second Timothy. In Second Timothy, Paul is writing to one of his mentors, someone that he has um, come alongside for quite some time now. Timothy is a young pastor. And what we know about this book is this is the last letter that Paul writes. Paul is in prison. He is essentially on death row. Paul understands he does not have much time left. So if there was anything that Paul wanted to say, now is the time that he would say it, writing to his beloved brother of the faith, Timothy. So now as we approach, Paul is starting to encourage Timothy about these scriptures that he has. And and what we're going to see from what Paul has to say is there are three different ways that we are to be devoted to the scriptures, or there are three important keys. And the first one that we see is scripture is supreme. Paul is going to show us and teach Timothy that scripture is to be supreme, but in two specific areas. The first is scripture is to be supreme at home. And then we'll see that scripture is to be supreme in the church as well. But let's look at that first one. Scripture is supreme at home. Now, before we dive into this passage, I want to backtrack just a couple of verses. And I'm going to read 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14 and 15. Paul writes, But as for you, speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When I read this passage, there's one thing that I think that I think is super important for us to understand. Who were those that taught Timothy the scriptures from infancy? Who were those that had this influence on Timothy's life? Who were the ones that were pouring into Timothy, showing him a devotion for the scriptures begins at home? Of course, Timothy had spiritual leaders that would come alongside him, but Paul doesn't allow us to guess at who was investing in Timothy's life. Instead, he actually tells us in chapter one, verse five, says it was his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. Brothers and sisters, if you are a parent this morning, it is imperative that we understand a devotion for the scriptures first begins at home. We must teach our kids what it means to be devoted to God's word, what it means to be able to wield his word, what it means to know it, to love it, to invest in it, to memorize it, and to store it in our hearts. Timothy was greatly influenced by those closest to him, his mom and his grandmother specifically. As parents, we, we teach our kids a lot of things, right? We teach them how to walk, teach them how to run. I teach them how to dance and, and how to play, and teach them how to throw a, a ball. We teach them a lot of things, but we must not fail to teach them God's word, what it means to be devoted to it. In November, uh, my wife is due. We're going to have our first child. Uh, we're having a little girl, and her name's going to be Blakely Ann. And I'm so excited to hold Blakely in my hands. She's, she's going to be perfect. She's going to be beautiful. And I can't wait for the opportunity to teach her how to, 
how to walk. Can't wait to teach her how to sing. That would probably just take an afternoon. I could tell her everything I know in about 30 minutes. But I can't wait to teach Blakely how to throw a softball and how to dance. And I'd love to teach her how to, how to braid her hair one day and, and how to have fun and enjoy life. But brothers and sisters, if I fail to teach her God's word, I am robbing her from one of the sweetest fruits that there is. Scripture is supreme. And in order for us to recognize that Scripture is supreme, it starts at our home. It starts with our habits. It starts with what we prioritize. Do we make it the count in order to study God's Word? Make family time revolve around God's Word, to hide it in our hearts, to teach it to those that we love the most. I'm I'm convinced that Timothy had an incredible childhood. I'm convinced that he was playing ball with the kids in the street, that he was doing all these things. But what is most important is how his grandmother and mother held scriptures above all else, how they prioritized that in his life. Now he was influenced by them. He came to the saving knowledge through them. It was a priority. This is not a question of what is convenient Scripture being supreme at the home is a question of what do we make most important in our lives. Brothers and sisters, do we truly love God's word? Do we understand its importance? Do we see the truth that lies uncovered within this book? And do we take seriously the words of Jesus in Matthew 4, 4, when he says that man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth? Of God, seeing do we understand and believe this to be true? Do we make God's word supreme in our homes, not just reading it recreationally, but diving in it, becoming devoted to it, reading through it, meditating on it, and storing it in our hearts? The scripture is supreme both at home and it's also supreme in the church. Uh, Paul continues at the end of verse 15. Paul tells Timothy that the scriptures which he has been taught from birth from his mother and his grandmother are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture is supreme at the church as well. If you're a guest this morning, it is no accident that on any giving morning you show up to Open Door Church, we practice what we call expository preaching. That is where you take a passage and you work through it verse by verse, word by word, in order to fully understand what God has in store for us. Not only do we do expository preaching, but we do it in a form that's called systematically, which is where you work through a book. Why? Because all scripture is supreme, which is why it's so incredible that for the past 20 years, Pastor Duane has worked through every book of the Bible and, and Lord willing for the next 12, he's going to do it again because God's word is so important. I've been around Pastor Duane for a few years now. I, I've sat in under his classes. I've been in his seminars, I've sat in under his teaching. And trust me, he has a lot of good things to say. And anyone up here might have some good things to say, but what's most important is what God has to say. What he has told us through his word is supreme above all else. But here's the trouble. Sometimes we don't view this to be true, or even if we confess it to be true, our actions might not line up. And and we begin to look like those in Romans 1 who have rejected the creator for that which was created. And, and we trade in something priceless for something that is worthless. And we exchange the truth of God's word for a lie. We get tickling ears. 
And we start to deviate and say, no, God's word is good, but it's not supreme. But brothers and sisters, may that not be us. May we always hold God's word supreme in the house and in the church as well. Paul saw this coming. He read it from a mile away, not only in his day, but in our day as well. If you have your Bible open, if you just look down just a couple of verses, in 2 Timothy 4, 3, Paul warns us of what this will look like. He said, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. It doesn't take much for me to convince you that this has already happened today, but what I want us to understand is when Paul was writing about this, when he was writing about these itching ears, he wasn't referencing to those outside of the church. Of course, that's going to happen. What Paul was warning against was happening inside the church. May that never be. May we always view, see, and understand Scripture to be supreme. May we not make this priority shift and trump our words over God's words. May we always be obedient to what he has to say. First, we see that scripture is supreme. Next, I want to show you that scripture is also special. Now, scripture is special in two different ways. The first way that we're going to look at is scripture is special in what's called revelation. That is God revealing himself to us. And then second, I want to show you that scripture is also special in inspiration. Well, that is how God chose to reveal himself to us. But let's, let's maintain consistency and work systematically through this. First, scripture is special in revelation. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Now we're ready to dive into this passage. Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, now it's time for a quick Greek grammar lesson. If that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. This is the Greek grammar lesson that my pastor gave us all the time growing up at our church in Atlanta. He said the word all in Greek, when translated properly to English, actually means, follow me here, all. It is very consistent. All means all. So when Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what he means is truly all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when Paul echoes that in a way and says that, all scripture is inspired or all scripture is God breathed. What he means is all scripture, every last word of it is inspired by God. Not just your favorite New Testament book, not just your favorite Old Testament narrative, not just your favorite verse found anywhere throughout this glorious work, but all of it is inspired and all of it is God's revelation of himself to us. It begins in the Old Testament as God reveals the Father to us, and then he continues in the New Testament as well as God reveals the Son. See, for Scripture to be special, for Scripture to be special in the sense that it reveals, what I mean by that is revelation is to reveal that which is unknown or to make something known that was previously unknown. So let's meditate on that for just one second. What does that mean? That God reveals himself to us in his word. What does it mean for it to be special that God reveals himself to us through this book? You see, this book is God making himself known to us. God, the, the author of the universe, the creator of all things, he who spoke and time began, sat down and wrote this book for us perfectly so, inerrant in every way, without a fault 
in it, just so that we might know him because he is a loving, compassionate, perfect, holy God. Scripture is this beautiful, poetic love letter in which God writes to his children so that we might know him, so that he might reveal himself to us. But here's what's incredible. Brothers and sisters, God didn't just reveal himself to us through his word, but he also does so through his son, Jesus Christ. It is this revelation that is oh so special and oh so important in Christianity. There's a poet by the name of Isaac Wimberly, and and he makes this connection better than I ever can. So I'm going to use his words, his language, to describe this revelation of both the word and the son. He says this in a spoken word. He said, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My brain has not yet reached a point where it can form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have yet to develop the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love in in my voice. See, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits that it's hard to even sing a praise up. You see, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew that man-made words would never do. For words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the word, living proof. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. God reveals himself to us through his word, but more than that, he reveals himself to us through his son. So if you walked in here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I've got great news. We don't have just this word, but we have Jesus in the flesh who came and visited us. Jesus who did what only he could do. He emptied himself as only he could do. Not only that, but he humbled himself of his status as only he could do. Jesus died in our place as only he could do. But more importantly than that, he defeated death. And three days later, he rose from the grave as only he could do. And the father exalted him above all else as only he could do and deserves. And through faith in him, by God's grace, we can enter into a relationship with him and know him and worship him for in eternity. That is revelation, not only in God's word, but in his son as well, which is what makes scripture so special. But scripture is special in another way as well. It's also special in inspiration. So follow with me in 2 Timothy 3, 16, one more time. Paul says, all scripture, that's the content that is revelation, is inspired by God. That is the process by which the scripture was written. That is inspiration. Now, I need to pause for a second because when I say inspiration the way Paul does, I'm scared that there might be a a misunderstanding because Paul here in 2 Timothy is not using inspiration the way sometimes we use that word because it appears come January the 1st every year, most of us become inspired to work out. It happens when we see a 30-second P90X commercial or a little Planet Fitness pop up there. Insert your gym here, but we watch it and come January 1st, all of a sudden we're inspired. And, and let's be honest, let's be honest, most of us haven't worked out in about 15 years. Most of us don't even have workout clothes, but when we see that commercial, guess what? This year's a new year, right? You know, it, it hurts because it's true. 
And then we start to plan out our day. We start to sit on the couch and we think about what our week is going to look like as we begin to prepare for this new endeavor in our lives, right? We say we're going to wake up early. We're going to drink protein shakes. We'll go to the gym before work and we'll have so much free time. And it's, it's going to be so good. We're just fired up. We're ready for it. And then we start to explain to our spouse, honey, I, I did not purchase a $200 blender for my protein shakes. I invested $200 in my health and well-being, right? That's how inspired we get. And it, it lasts. It lasts for seven days. But then come that eighth day, uh, we're no longer inspired. We're sore. We're hungry. We're angry. The last thing we want to do is work out and the inspiration has left us. Well, by God's grace, the way we get inspired to work out for seven consecutive days is not the same inspiration that Paul is talking about here. What Paul is saying here is when scripture is inspired, it is truly God's word. It is God speaking to us perfectly. It is his exact word, not man's that we have. Now, was it written down by the hand of man? And did God use man's personality in order to write God's word? Yes, absolutely. But are these God's very words exactly as he intended them to be written in the original manuscripts? Yes, absolutely. Which is why we can say that when we read scripture, we are truly reading the word of God. This is a special, special book. See, God not only spoke to man, but God also spoke through men. In Hebrews 1, the author says that long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But then we see in Jeremiah 1.9, not only does God speak to us, but he speaks through us. It says, the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with whose words? My words. These are the very words of God written by man. Let us not get that mixed up. Peter clarifies, just to make sure we're all on the same page. 2 Peter 1 verse 20, Peter says, Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's a takeaway truth for you that you can take home, take to the bank, wherever you want to take it. If you ever want to hear God speak, just read your Bibles out loud, brothers and sisters. This is God's word. Not only is it to be supreme above all else, but it is also special, both in what it reveals and how God revealed it. Next, and finally, we see that scripture is also sufficient. Scripture is supreme. Scripture is special. Scripture is also sufficient. Let's finish out 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul writes once again, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does it mean for scripture to be sufficient? Now, I know for most of us, if not all of us, church history doesn't exactly fire us up. 
we all can't be like Stephen Ecker and just get on a, an emotional high from church history like he can, but it's, it's still very important. So in the 16th century, when uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin were starting this Protestant Reformation, they recognized that the Roman Catholic Church wasn't operating the way that they felt like the church should. So what they did was they came up with these five distinctives that they felt like separated the way the church should be from the way that the church was. And in Latin, we know them as the five solas. Now, in English, they are translated to scripture alone, Christ alone, by faith alone, and grace alone, and to the glory of God alone. And we don't have time to go through all five of these, but but it is important for us to recognize this sola scriptura, this by scripture alone. What does that mean? Well, it means that because scripture is God's inspired word, it is not only inerrant, meaning it is perfect, but it is also sufficient. It is the final authority for the church. God's word gives us everything that we need is found within scripture. Scripture being sufficient encompasses it is reigning supreme, that it is also special. Scripture doesn't contain all that we want to know, but it tells us everything that we need to know. Scripture contains the gospel, the revelation of who God is and who he is in his son and the Holy Spirit as well. Scripture is sufficient. Now, there are four ways that Timothy clarifies that scripture is sufficient. Look at 2 Timothy again, 3.16. He said, it is sufficient in teaching, in correcting, in rebuking and in training in righteousness. So let's quickly look at each one of these. uh, Scripture is sufficient for teaching. What does that mean? When Paul says that it is good for teaching, what he says is scripture contains Christian doctrine as we need to know and understand it. Scripture tells us everything that we need to know about who Christ is. It is supreme above all. It tells us proper doctrine in order to understand and enter into a relationship with him. When Nate started off this series of devotions for a vibrant faith, he began in Acts chapter 2. What you see here is a picture of the early church. The Holy Spirit is moving in crazy ways and and people are just trying to keep up. They're not understanding what's completely happening, but but they know that they're on board. They know that they're fired up and they know that they wanna know more about Christ. So what do they do? Well, we see in Acts 2.42, it says the local church was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Brothers and sisters, that's you and that's me. This wasn't the super apostles. This wasn't just the disciples. This wasn't just Jesus or his inner three of Peter, James, and John. This wasn't just the prophets or the biblical authors. This was the members of the church. They were coming together and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were making that a priority in their lives. They were recognizing that this word of God is sufficient, giving us all that we need Not only is scripture profitable for teaching, but it's also profitable for rebuking. What does that mean? Well, rebuking is recognizing that God's love for us is greater than we'll ever know. You see, God is a perfect, all-loving, all-holy, all-righteous God, and he desires our good more than we do. So when he rebukes us, he points us back to the right path. He calls out our faults. He brings to light the errors found in false teaching and calls us from wandering away from him. I want you to think of rebuking like this. A good shepherd is going to rebuke his sheep when they wander away, right? 
A good coach is going to rebuke their student when their technique falters, right? A good parent is going to rebuke their child when they're in danger. And in the same way, a loving God rebukes his children when we stray from his word. He, he causes out through this book. He protects us from false teaching, but not only does he rebuke us, look at what he also does, Paul describes, but scripture is good for correction as well. See, while rebuking is calling out faults and revealing our sin, correcting is showing us what the proper path looks like. It is leading us beside still waters. Correction is providing not just information, but providing transformation as well. These scriptures are so sufficient, giving us everything that we need to enter into this relationship with Christ, a personal one with him, which leads to this final element that scripture is sufficient for, for training in righteousness as well. So it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. What does that mean? What does that look like? I think what Paul is talking about here is what it looks like to live a holy life lifestyle. I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul describes it like this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That is what it means for scripture to be sufficient for us to be uh, trained in righteousness, to live a holy, worthy lifestyle. But brothers and sisters, hear me very clearly. Training in righteousness or, or living this holy lifestyle is not so much what we do as it is of a recognition of what Jesus has done for us. This holy lifestyle is not so much what we do as it is a recognition of what Christ has done for us. The, the price he paid on the cross, the debt that we owe that we would never be able to repay. The love that he has for us, what he did, this is a response to that of holy, obedient living, which the scriptures are sufficient for teaching us. So we see that scripture is not only supreme in our lives, scripture is not only special, the scripture is always sufficient as well. So here is the question I have for us this morning. Do we recognize this in our lives? Do we recognize the importance of God's word, this beautiful love letter that he wrote? Do we see it through these lens? Do we hold scripture supreme in our lives, having ultimate authority, or do we just treat it as a good suggestion that we run to when it's convenient? Do we recognize that scripture is special, and see it for what it is, this beautiful love letter of an all-perfect, all-righteous God writing to his children? Or do we keep uh, our sword in its sheath for six days a week and only wield it out on Sundays? And finally, do we see scripture as sufficient, God's perfect word that reveals to us who he is? Or do we spite it when it omits what we want to know instead of what we need to know? Do we see scripture the way that we should? Are we devoted to God's word? Are we our own theologians diving in God's word, seeing it for as it is? Are we spending time in it? Are we memorizing? Are we storing it up in our hearts? 
Are we doing all these things? Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, he's sitting in prison. He knows the end is near and he is preparing for that. So as he writes to Timothy, he asks for Timothy to come quickly. Paul knows that he doesn't have much time. And in begging Timothy to come quickly, Paul encourages Timothy to bring three things for him. The first is a cloak. Paul is clearly a little cold in his jail cell. He wants to stay warm. The other thing that Paul encourages Timothy to bring is parchment, paper, so that he could write. And finally, Paul asks Timothy to bring his scrolls, his copy of God's word. This is the apostle Paul. This is someone who knows scripture more than probably all of us together. He had it memorized. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And what is one thing that he desired more than anything else there at the end of his life besides his cloak and parchment? He wanted his copy of God's word. So my question is, do we see scripture the same way? Are we devoted to it the same way? Do we see the importance of falling in love with God's word time and time again, understanding that to live a vibrant Christian life means that we are to be devoted to God's word. It is supreme, it is special, and it is also sufficient. Would you pray with me? Father, we wanna thank you for this morning. God, thank you for who you are. God, all that you have taught us in your word. God, how beautiful, how sweet it is. Psalm 119 describes your words sweeter than honey. God, as a light to our feet, a lamp for our path. God, David describes your word also as something that is more valuable than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. God, I, I pray that that is the way we see scripture as well. God, you're so good. We're thankful for who you are, God. We're thankful for your revelation of yourself through not only your word, but also your son. God, I pray that we would enter into a relationship with him. God, I thank you for open door. God, the fact that we get to come and worship together as a family. God, would you be with us as we leave? In your son's perfect name we pray, amen.